0: Well, happy holidays to all of the Twin Peaks Unwrapped listeners out there. With your families and friends at Christmas time in between the New Year's and the greatest time of all. Guess what? It's your old buddy Scott Ryan here, taking over for the Twin Peaks boys who are taking this time off to be with their family and friends at the holidays. But that's okay. I'm here. I'm going to be here with you because it's the holidays and it's fun to be by yourself. It Christmas time, I don't care. Oh, why did I tell John Thorne I didn't want to hear any more stories about Wrapped in Plastic magazine? I should have never told Courtney that I'm sick about hearing about Part 8. Now I'm all alone. The Twin Peaks boys are gone, and it's just me and you guys out there. Probably you're with your loved ones. And I'm here, stranded in Ohio. And, I, and you know the Twin Peaks boys. They throw that annual Christmas party out there. The big holiday shindig out there in New York City. And I'm stuck here. But why am I stuck here? Why? Why sit here and suffer while everyone's out there partying? You know by now Brian's had so many eggnogs. He's telling everyone, you know, how great Lost is and how they ought to do a Lost party. Ben's probably begging him, please, 50 more episodes, let's not end it. You know what? This is stupid. Who cares if I don't have a car, money for a plane, and I sold my bicycle to buy Jen Christmas presents. I got one thing, don't I? good old John Deere tractor. Yes. You know what? I am gonna gas up that thing, put on a hat and scarf, and drive that lawnmower from Columbus, Ohio to New York City. Why not? This is a grand idea. I'll get there. I'll hang out with Ben and Brian and who knows? They're probably partying down with George Griffith or Eric DeRay or who knows? Kyle McLaughlin. Everyone knows they talk to Kyle McLaughlin. If you just order the Twin Peaks Unwrapped podcast book, you get a secret Kyle McLaughlin podcast because they're best friends with Kyle McLaughlin. You know what, I'm going. Oh, crap, I just remembered something. Whoa, 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 Scotty boy, you better put the brakes on this one. You haven't listened to their podcast one time all year. You've been busy doing that Blue Rose magazine. Doing your books. Fooling around, playing Mario Kart like it's 1987. Wait a minute, Scott, what are you doing here? you're not thinking fourth dimensionally you will listen to their podcast as you ride your lawnmower across America this is one of your best ideas yet better start with an episode. Nancy Ferguson from On The Air. Well, that sounds like a good place to start. Let's listen in on that one.
1: Good. We have Nancy Ferguson, who played Ruth Truthworthy from On The Air. We've got an interview with her today. We do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh-huh. I think we got, a, there's a couple of Twin Peaks connections there. We, we, you know, it's all in the David Lynch world. It is. It's awesome. So let's talk to Nancy. There's a Twin Peaks magazine, Blue Rose, that recently did an issue focused on the women of Lynch. And Ruth Truthworthy from On the Air was one of the 40 characters highlighted.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Ruth is one of my favorite characters. How did you bring her to life?
2: Oh, thank you. I, You know, I loved, first of all, when I first read the script. I had an instant affinity with Ruth Trueworthy and the name and everything. I loved David so much, and mm-hmm. I just felt she was me and this was my role. I just had an instant feeling about her and and it from the very beginning.
3: How
1: did you become involved in On the Air?
2: Joanna Ray, David's casting director, had seen me in her movie called Rockula. She you know, then sort of kept me in her mind and filed me away. Hmm. And so she was who brought me in. And, you know, I had met David a few times. My ex-husband knew him, uh, Mark Mothers, Bob Devo. So I had met him a few times when I was with Mark. And if someone had asked me, you know, if you could work with any director who would it be, David was who I, you know, David Lynch was who I would say. So, you know, it was definitely... Uh, you know, a dream come true for me. And, and, you know, it was an extraordinary experience. I'm thrilled that Ruth Trueworthy was picked among all the great women of Lynch that I love so well.
1: It was perfect timing with your character being featured in the magazine, because we're now covering on the air and we're really enjoying it.
2: So happy to hear that. I'm a huge fan of the show. From the very beginning, I loved everything about it. And there was nothing in my mind that it was no, not going to be a big hit. And to this Day, I still believe that, you know, it will find its place in the world because I think it's a very special gem that just hasn't been fully revealed and discovered. I think in today's world if it was put on, you know, one of the cable networks, you know, in a heartbeat, it would have had a life and an audience. It was so ahead of its time and, you know, it was just too weird and too original and too surreal for ABC, which, you know, didn't even realize That to have David Lynch, to have Twin Peaks, and then on the air, that that should be something that should be celebrated and nurtured and not just fit into the normal standards of how you put something on television.
1: It's funny that your character is the only one that seems to be able to understand and translate the director of the show. Some people think that your character was inspired by Mary Sweeney, who worked on the show. Have you heard this?
2: She did tell me that I was the linchpin of the show. <laughs> Nobody ever told me that specifically, but I always admired and felt very close to Mary.
1: Were you filming on the air when Twin Peaks was on? Correct.
2: Correct. When we were doing On the Air, it was actually really quite heartbreaking because it was at the time when ABC was being difficult with David and pulling it from its timeline and putting it in a bad timeline and you know starting to create problems for that Mm -hmm. show. And we all loved Twin Peaks and it was really hard for David. He loved the show and loved everybody working on it. It was all such good people as well. And nobody can really understand when those things are going on. And and so, yeah, we were sort of a part of that experience.
1: How much was David Lynch and Mark Frost involved with the show?
2: So David was really involved in it. I never met Mark Frost. I talked to him once on the phone. I always Mm -hmm. wanted to meet him. I still, to this day, have not met Mark Frost. They were starting to separate somewhat. So David was, well, he was completely involved in every aspect of the pilot, from how people put your makeup on to every detail of every single thing that goes on in the show. And every single person in every department just sort of rises to this David Lynch standard And this elevated feeling that goes on working with him. It's really sort of a wonderful world. So, David would be there for the table reads for each episode. And if he couldn't be there, then we would do it, you know, on a speaker phone because it was a different world then. We didn't, you know, have Skype and all that. So, he was always, you know, involved. But, you know, obviously the pilot was his complete work.
1: You're friends with Kimmy Robertson. Wouldn't she have made a great Betty?
2: You know, a lot of people always felt that, yes, that character might have been the Lucy role of Twin Peaks, Mm -hmm. but, you know, Twin Peaks was going on, and, you know, what David was really doing, which I feel in today's world would be happening, was he could have the studio where there would be Twin Peaks going on, and then on the air going on, and then his features going on, and so it like that could all be happening and so it Twin Peaks was going on you couldn't really have Kimmy be in on the air because they were still going on at the same time so I don't yeah, really know sense. if there was ever any discussion of that Betty was definitely the, the Lucy of on the air
1: you and Kimmy did a pilot called ADD. that's such potential it made me think a little bit of like Broad City
2: hi I'm Kimmy hi I'm Nancy and we're doing the show called ADD. ADD. just have to grab a purse. Oh, oh my god, purse! You wouldn't believe what I heard on Science Friday on the way over here, NPR. They did a whole two year study on the bottom of women's purses, it's filled with bacteria. Oh my god, do you know what? I got an email about that too. Ah! Take that off my. Purse. Ah! I love that you saw that Kimmy know I did that together. Yes, because. You know, Kimmy and I have had parallels in our life, starting with my ex-husband, Mark Mothers, Bob Diva. She had dated one of Mark's brothers, mm. you know, and then um, we had danced together. And then, you know, she did a Lynch series and I did a Lynch series. And we sort of came together and did that little pilot that we did ourselves and, you know, didn't really expand on it but you know but i you know yeah i thought i love that you saw that
1: yeah i thought it was so much fun i wanted more
2: yeah i did, we definitely if it were a good pair i felt we yeah. could go on to pretty much the, just put the two of us in a situation. In my world, I am not the straight person. So it's in, in the Lynch world, I become the straight person, mm-hmm. which is really fun for me. <laughs> so, you know. so yeah, Kimmy is really fun and easy to work with and a joy. And David is, he's the biggest joy of all to work with. It's just such a pleasure to work with someone that's such a, a brilliant artist and genius and mm-hmm. has just a wonderful heart and creates such an apt, of family that you are just so excited to go to work every day.
1: I've heard David Lynch likes to do things on the fly, kind of last-minute ideas. Did you experience any of that on on the air?
2: Oh yeah, no, he definitely does things on the fly. <laughs> David is, a, you know, an intuitive, spontaneous person. Art can come as it should in the moment. And so that whole scene where I'm explaining how, you know, Snaps, you put the string through the bowl and it's connected to the Mm -hmm. dog. Snaps doesn't like Welby Snaps' dog food. The string comes up through the bowl, attaches to Snaps' collar, which pulls Snaps against his will. That entire scene. Yes. Yes. Came up on the
1: fly. Oh wow! Yeah, again, that's so, one of my favorite lines. Is that I mean the the way you deliver it, where it's like you're you're explaining things to people, and people should understand, but you have to go through the whole thing, and that was great.
2: Yeah, so so um so I and I love that scene too. So that was one, and then and then there would be things like in the scene with um, Shorty and I and the pots, you know, trying to get in backstage when things were going awry, and where we were trying to figure out how to have him hold the, you know, the, the pots. And pans and yeah. you know, and I keep telling him to hold on. Davis had us do that scene. It seemed like ten minutes. He just kept <laughs> having us go back and forth and improvising and oh. running it and it was you know, it was quite funny. You know, he has this absurdist comedy attitude. So you know. Things that go on long create more absurdity. Yeah. Um, so he would sometimes allow takes to go on if something was happening.
3: That's
1: great. I've heard George Clooney, Miguel Friera's cousin, tried to get on the set to meet David Lynch. Did he ever get on the set to meet him?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that you heard that. Okay, so we had a close set which I loved because you know, you have you sort of stay within the world. David Lynch and you stay very focused you know Miguel came from sort of a history of you know having friends and people come to the set so Miguel did bring people the pilot not so much if I can remember but it's possible George did come by I was actually told because I didn't really at the time I didn't really watch much television you know I wouldn't have known who George Clooney was anyway at that Mm -hmm. time he really wasn't anyone at that time but so I, I, he did come to the set, but I don't know if he ever met David or anything. But he did come to the set way before he was the great George Clooney. I did see him, at, you know, at some movie that he had done, some premiere, and I did, you know, remind him that I met him years ago. And he was like, "Oh, it's great to see you again." You know, don't let it be another ten or fifteen years before I see you again. And he was very sweet. But mm. Rosemary came to the set and. You know, when Jack was directing, Sissy Spacek came, so, you know, it, it, there was a few really wonderful people that came that were fans of the show, that loved the show, so uh, we felt that we were in good company of the people that love the show. Betty, you're the co-star of the show. You have absolutely no experience whatsoever. You have every right to be extremely apprehensive.
1: Thank you so much, Nancy, for coming on the show and talking to us about On the Air. It's been great talking with you.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Come on! Uh, start the stupid
0: lawnmower! Start! Come on! Uh, ah. <laughs> there we go! Uh, no troubles here. I don't see how this sound will be annoying at all. Nah, uh, this sounds great. Uh, I hope I can still hear the podcast, though. And, oh yeah, we are already going. That's right. Making time. In just about 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes, I'll be at my mailbox.
4: <laughs>
0: ah, yeah. Well, oh, hmm. who else they got? Ian Buchanan, Mr. Dick Tremaine, from On the Air and Twin Peaks. Boy, I'll tell you, these, Ben and Brian, they get the celebrities, don't they? Let's hear what that old Ian Buchanan has to say.
1: Time it's been, it's great to get to talk
5: to you. Well, yes, I'm very happy to talk to you.
1: <laughs> so you also worked uh, with David Lynch and Laura Flint, Flynn Boyle on Obsessions commercial. How was that?
5: That was great. That's when I first uh, Joanna Ray, who was to cast most all of most of David's stuff, I had met, and uh, she cast me in the Obsession thing that David was directing. And that day it was the day he shot it. Was the day that I met him, and he asked if I could go meet him on the Tuesday with Joanna that he said I would make a perfect dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and did you know what he was talking many about? Things, but <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah. Uh, so I uh, went I met them on a the Tuesday and I think started on the following Monday, I believe. I started I my first episode.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, so cool. that quick. And did you know who David Lynch was before you, you did the commercial or
5: Uh, You know, I did, and I'd also, yeah, I did, but also, you know, there was the buzz about Twin Peaks, which was airing already, and and I'd heard, you know, there'd been a lot of buzz about that, so it was kind of a, I didn't, I I was cast, and I think... I didn't. I think I don't think I was supposed to tell anybody, and I really didn't. But I went to a party on the Friday night and had a cocktail and told everybody. So. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and everybody great. was like, oh. "Oh my God, you're kidding! You really are going to be on Twitter?" Like, you know, and I was like, "Really? It's, is it that big of a deal?" Because I, you know, been General Hospital and Gary Shandling, and never really stopped working. I was always doing something. So I kind of was like, I just finished the Colombo I believe, for the Colombo movie of the week, and so I was like, "Well, yeah, I guess this is it. Here we go." So. <laughs>
3: That's great. That, now, was
5: that. that was the start of a whole whole different adventure and a whole different experience, which was very different from everything else I'd ever done. So.
4: Now, did you find it easy to transition from a soap opera to, you know, a character? It's a little more slapsticky, especially, like, on the air and Twin Peaks.
5: Yeah, I, I found it easy. You know, I kind of want it. I'd only done General Hospital for three years, but I really kind of didn't I didn't feel like a, i I always felt more like a character actor and more like comedy because I'd done performance stuff in New York, uh, performance art in New York. And I really didn't feel I didn't feel trapped inside this leading man thing. But it, you know, I've gone on to, to prefer being a supporting character because you get to do the heavy emotional lifting and stuff. So
3: hmm.
5: I kind of tried to do some of that with General Hospital, even this the last go around to make it a novel, you know, make it more of a kind of a just a, the sort of character I like. To play, but I like playing big, you know, funny, big, kind of quirky. I like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, your like timing is great. A lot of fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, you, a lot you, of fun. you have great comic timing, and I'm so impressed how you're able to br- make Dick Tremaine kind of funny. And, like, I don't know, it's, you don't even have to say anything. It's like your body language sometimes made it so funny. And I just was, I wondered, you kind of said it, but I was wondering how you prepared for a role like that.
5: I, I actually am sort of one of those actors that really doesn't I wouldn't know how to prepare for anything so what I usually do is just it's a wing and a prayer but it's all kind of you know when you have the right costume and you have the right sort of you know the writing is good and I kind of tend to like uh I don't know just absorb everything around me and then kind of react to that and also I don't you know I'm like I'm not really influenced by much because I'm kind of uh, more of a, a reader than, than anything else. So I sort of read a lot, but I think um, I like everything just a little off center because mm. I think it's, you know, and I just, I, I, it's, it's just more interesting. And I view everything that way, so it kind of makes, it, it allows me to find something that's fairly unique, I think.
1: Yeah, cool. It works. And do you have a favorite? Oh, thank you. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> we do a show weekly, but I was re-watching y- your scenes in Twin Peaks, and it's like, wow, the timing of him, like, somebody says something, and then, you, whether it be a smile, or just the way your body movement is, and it's just like, wow, I'm so impressed at how you responded to uh, another actor, and it, it really is impressive.
5: Thank you. You know, definitely, sort of, uh, Dick had that kind of an attitude, and probably was so insecure, he had this superiority complex, mm-hmm. I think. And try to make himself like you know, the sort of the absolute like arbiter of all taste and person who knew everything better than anybody else. And <laughs> I think uh, he covered up for his, you know, he 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 didn't. So he that's where he kind of presented it, which was all sort of I don't think very, and most of it was very insincere. So that was kind of I think where all of that came from. Like you know, are they onto me? Are, you know, kind of a beat like kind of. And, of course, everybody was on to him, but he, mm. I don't think he realized.
6: Yeah.
4: <laughs> now, Did you have any favorite moments from uh, filming Twin Peaks? Any favorite episodes? Yeah, I, I
6: had.
5: I, I'd many, I loved working with, uh, with, with Harry Gauz and with, with um, my lovely friend Kimmy Robertson. We had a little triangle that was going, like a, which wasn't unlike a soap opera, except it was kind of like a, you know, like a, a very funny, like a little love triangle. Yeah. Um, I liked, and I love working with David Lander. We had worked together previously, and again, many times. But the Pine Weasel, I think, I liked. I <laughs> yeah, love that. Was kind of, I had no idea what that was about, what to expect from that. <laughs> no idea how it would work. So I think got lucky with whoever directed it. The wine tasting, I really liked, because I think it was Dick at his
7: finest being a dick. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Good evening evening all and welcome to our own soiree another in a continuing series of public events sponsored by horn industries to benefit the stop ghostwood development movement oh no what
8: something
9: to do with wine
7: and now our first wines this evening are reds there are some schools of thought who of course say There are no other wines but reds. (laughs) Yes, Andy? There are also white wines and sparkling wines. Thank you, Andy. And now that we're all poured, let us first examine. Don't taste it yet, Andy, for heaven's sake. Spit it out. Sorry. It's all right. That's what we're here for, to learn. (laughs) Now to the wine we must first examine the nose of the wine to see what it can tell us about its bouquet. And we do that by...
8: By smelling.
7: Very good, Lina. Lift the glass thusly. And while rolling the wine vigorously around in the glass, we breathe deeply and fully. Very good. And now, we take our first taste. A big, boisterous gulp, and we roll it around our entire palate, and we try to reach those little taste buds stuck way far at the back of the tongue, remembering not to swallow. Excellent. And now, we spit.
5: Yeah, I loved, I loved, loved all. Of, yeah, all of it. I mean, all of it was just kind of, so, and the, Miss Twin Peaks, the final sort of two episodes were really kind of very special too. Very nice to be part of that also. So,
1: and it was something yeah. that, you know, in that, in that Miss Twin Peaks actually Dick's character improved. Like he actually saw, like, he saw he he found good or something. Like he did mm-hmm. the right thing. He did. I, I like that he had a whole arc of redemption. It was a redemption
3: kind <laughs> of thing. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Redemption. Then he's gone. There was never to be seen
3: again.
5: Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I, I just was with. I was. Harry was here this weekend, so we were together on Monday. Doing, reading for a class. A, a, a writing class. We read their scripts and. Oh wow! I was. We we uh, we were just kind of laughing, kind of reminiscing about. Like not only how long it's been, but just we've been close ever since. So we were, uh, yeah.
1: It had something. Fun. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. And I heard you're almost in uh, season three, the return. Can you share with us that 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 almost happened?
5: Well, it almost, and I say it almost because I had I'd seen Joanna and several other people, and they basically, you know, said, "Well, you you know, your name is coming up a lot." Well, I think it must have come up either way too much or maybe just not enough,
3: but, no. um,
5: well that, but that's alright, I was totally, you know, I, I see David all the time and I was completely like, I was totally totally fine, totally fine either, either being a part of it or not being a part, and also being a part, always being a part of it anyway. So, whether,
4: Did you end up seeing uh, season three?
5: I, You know, I don't watch anything, but I saw a little bit of it. I watched some of it and I liked it. I really loved it. I thought it was... Everything that David would have done if it hadn't, the Twin Peaks hadn't been on the network television, then you know, I think that's exactly what, uh, pro- exactly what he would have done with it. But, yeah, uh, I saw it and I loved it. And um, a lot of my friends were in it, people who weren't in the original, like Candy Clark and oh.
3: um,
5: a lot of other, other, you know, old friends of mine here in, in town were actually, actually got to do it. So that was great, very exciting. I'll watch it sometime. <laughs> I generally only see stuff on planes and I haven't seen it on a plane yet.
4: Oh, yeah, that would be a hard watch on a plane. <laughs> Might be highly edited.
5: Um, well, I don't probably like. I mean, Game of Thrones is that's what I watch usually. Like when I fly, or, oh yeah, yeah, you know, Picky peak, Blinders or something like that. Yeah.
4: So. so, in season three, did you get to see when we get to uh, see Wally Brando, uh, Andy, and Lucy's child? Did you see that part, No yes.
5: <laughs> Now, uh, you know, I did. I, I did. I saw a little. I saw a little clip of that. I thought you looked more like Dick's child. I don't yes. Yeah,
3: that's, that's what we, we were going to yes. say. Yes. Like, yes. I really think. I think
5: that's actually what Harry said. Harry was like, he really was like, he kind of, yeah, he was like, more like Dick's child, like with his sense of style or whatever. Yes. I
1: thought his mannerism, and he, ha- he goes into a whole monologue, and. and Marlon Brando monologue. You know, Andy or Lucy would go into a monologue, but Dick would. Dick would spend a long yes. time talking about himself. And
4: yeah. I, you know, it was your child the whole time. <laughs> That's funny. That's fun. Well,
0: who knows? Show me the way I go. I'm, 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 I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. I had about a drink about an go away and I went straight to my head. Doesn't count as drinking and driving if you're on a lawnmower. So take that neighborhood. <laughs> this is the greatest idea I ever had. This is gonna be the best Christmas. I am having so much fun. Ah, Yeah, oh God, this was stupid. No, no, it's a good idea. And it's all fine, Uh, you know. Oh, it just makes me want to curl up with a good book, you know? We've got the Twin Peaks podcast book coming out. we got David Bushman's Mark Frost book coming out. we got Courtney's Laura's Ghost coming out. we got the Women of Lynch already out. I mean, there's a lot of good books, and there's a lot of Lynch to cover. That's why Kristen McKenna, who wrote Someone in My House art book, it's just another Lynch book. What, you think I'm competing with Kristen McKenna? She gets absolute l- Lynch access, and I ride lawnmowers across the neighborhood. Show me the way to
1: go. Sycamore trees! So, we're going to talk about the new book, Someone is in My House. It's, how did you get involved with this? Uh, the book? Are you also involved with the exposition?
10: Um, how was I involved? Um, Stein, who was curated it and is the director of the Bonifantin Museum, where that show is, um, came to see David a couple times when he was preparing the show, and he just wanted to have coffee, so we had coffee, and he asked me to write an essay for the book. And I said, I would love to. And I went, the show is incredible. It's really, it's probably the hugest show there will ever be of David's work. It's like everything. It's 16 rooms. It's gigantic. Oh, my God.
1: I think I heard it was like 500 pieces involved.
10: Wow. It is gigantic. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. It was also mentioned that you helped out with text uh, contributions. What did that involve?
10: Well, I, okay, I went... The McDowell Colony in New Hampshire—I think it's New Hampshire—gave David their their yearly medal. I think like two years ago, hmm. and David couldn't go, and he asked me to go collect it for him and give a little speech, which I did. And the director of McDowell that year, one of the resident chairmen, was Michael Shabon, who who went before he introduced me. He talked a bit about David, and I said to him afterwards, "What you said was brilliant. You mm-hmm. should print that." Wow. And he was very, you know, selfie-facing and said, no, no. But then when I met with Stein, I said, you should get Michael Shabon to let you print his, what he said at McDowell. And so that ended up being in the catalog as well.
1: And this is, of course, endorsed by David Lynch, right? I mean, this is, this oh, yeah, is David's yeah, book. I mean, yeah. I read something that there was lenders. So, is is there is there people's personal collection of David Lynch's work? Oh at... yeah, oh yeah.
10: It's it was drawn from all over the place. It was a it's really a very very big show. I mean, they had they did they did a film programming in tandem with with a Cinematheque there in Maastricht. They had their own screening room there. They they had live music accompanying um, wow. one of David's animations. It's really it was. Very ambitious. So yeah, there's work coming from lots of lenders. Some museums loan pieces, his galleries loan pieces. So yeah, they called on everybody.
1: Nice. And what I I like about this book is it's interesting I've seen I mean I've I've looked at other Lynch's artwork books. This one seemed to have a lot of essays, more than probably other books. And I think that that's great that there's these different writers who kind of share about about Lynch's work.
10: Yeah, yeah, this one has four. I think there's Stein, myself, Michael Chabon, and this art historian, Petra. Um, most museum catalogs usually have two or three. Yeah. Four a lot, but, yeah, but it's a big book. Yeah. Definitely.
1: It's. And I'm glad you mentioned the big book. I mean, it is beautiful. I, I got it <laughs> through Amazon, and I get it, and it's like, this is a really big box. <laughs> I open it, and it's like, wow, this is so beautiful.
10: It is a beautiful book. Yeah, Stein did an amazing job. It's, yeah, it's... It's a shame David's not going to see the show But um, He's not going to see it So that's too bad I hope somebody does films a walkthrough of it For him so he can see it Because it's overwhelming How much he's produced You really are knocked out by that When you actually see the show Because they have have things like drawings He made when he was like 8 or 9 years old Mm. And then there are pieces That he made when the show was being hung That are really really new
4: in, in the book, like, uh, the pieces, the matchbooks, which were really interesting, um, did they have those
8: there?
10: Yeah, it has all the, all the matchbooks drawings are there. I think all of the napkin drawings are there, the post-it drawings, um, his lamps. Pretty much every series he's done is there and represented.
3: Wow. There, there I, were
10: quite I, a few of his prints from Edem in France.
3: Wow. I
4: love his lamps. Yeah. I yeah. want a lamp. Those lamps are so those those lamps are really cool.
10: Yeah, the lamps all came from private collections, so those were all loaned by collectors, and wow. um, and the matchbook drawings are so beautiful in person. They're, they're, that's some of my favorite work he's made, I love those.
1: Those matches, that I, I've heard about them, but to actually see them in the book is so special, and I think that they were from the 1970s, and I was like, yeah. I always met, but I said, I was like, wow, this is, you know, that was a long time ago, is he still, like, maybe smoking, and still doodling <laughs> and stuff? Like, I, I can't he's imagine that. Oh, yes, yeah. you know,
10: when I was, when we were working on the book together, David, he'll say he loves drawing illustrations. And when he's collaborating with people, he'll often make some crazy drawing that makes no sense to you, but he'll very methodically explain what he's thinking and draw a line here and a line there. So he often made me drawings when we were writing the book together, and I saved them all, of course. Ah. So he's, yeah, he's a doodler. He's always (laughs) doing something like that.
1: Can you share a little bit about your essay that, that you did?
10: Well, let's see, um, David does so many different things in terms of his visual art, either prints and drawings and watercolors and painting, sculpture, film, lamps. So I just thought rather than try to tackle all of it, I would just take one thing, which is his paintings, and just focus on that. So I just wrote about the paintings, and I just looked at them and tried to take a really deep dive into them.
1: Yeah, nice. And, you know, so the book is uh, Someone is in My House, and it seems to be based on the actual artwork that he did in uh, 2014. And, right. And you mentioned in your essay about how houses are a reoccurring motif in Lynch's painted world, but it also seems to be something special in TV when you think about Twin Peaks, the new series, It is in Our House Now. And I think about Lost Highway, I'm in your uh-huh. house right now. Do, do yeah. You, do you no, see
10: I think that's all part of his basic suburban American vocabulary, is neighborhoods and houses and one's childhood home and childhood memories. So that's still, I think, very vivid for him. And he draws on it in all the kind of work he does.
4: The uh, photos of the houses with the snowmen in front of them were so eerie.
10: Yeah, those are pretty creepy. They're very disturbing, I think. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, he had this very idyllic childhood, but his renderings of houses are always a little sinister and scary. Yeah,
4: yeah like, he, he knows okay. that instead of going behind those walls, something happy could be happening, <laughs> he's almost thinking, well, something... Dark could possibly be happening.
10: Well I always feel he presents the house as something that must be escaped from.
4: Ooh I like you that No it's
10: yeah it's always but I think that's all about David trying to him fleeing the suburban environment he grew up in into the art life, which is much more bohemian and wide open yeah. um, So that's a very broad metaphor but I that, that's kind of the way it seems to me.
1: I like that. That's I, I didn't think about that. That's very interesting.
10: Yeah, well, good.
1: <laughs> and I thought about at the end of the book of the biography, he seems very happy in his home now. Like he could just live there. I mean, like yes. he's got his studios and he's got his woodwork and he's got his whole world. So I mean, it's definitely not something that affects him in his life now.
10: Definitely not. I actually I saw him last week and he just got a new editing system. So he and he's teaching himself this new editing system, and he replaced the soundboard in his studio, so he's teaching himself that system, and he bought himself a sewing machine oh, you know wow. it's possible he never wants to go anywhere because he has so many things he likes doing there,
1: so, yeah. I, you probably couldn't say anything, but the fact that he's got a new editing machine or he's got work makes me think he, he wants to do something new. He wants to create new you oh, know, yeah. videos, yeah. new films, or something like that. So uh, to me, that is exciting to see. Like, he wouldn't do that if he if – even for his personal use, he, he, he wants to create new things.
10: Oh, always, yeah. No, David will never stop working. You know, he always has. And he's also, since Twin Peaks, The Return – been sorting through he has he writes down scribbles down little ideas on scraps of paper and puts them in piles and boxes here and there and he'd accumulated a lot of them and sabrina his trustworthy sidekick just spent you know she spent months typing them up for him and organizing them so he's yeah he's definitely fishing for ideas and figuring out what he's gonna he'll do more he'll do more on film and television yeah
4: yeah and uh, speaking of the return, I was reading um, the man was shot 0.9502 uh-huh. seconds ago. The artwork. Yeah. The artwork there. It, it, with the um, the glowing, the yellow orb coming out of him, it reminded uh-huh. me of the little boy being hit by the car and with the well, glowing orb. Well, the little boy
10: orb. being hit by the car and also when the fireman... He um, yes. levitates in oh. episode eight, and the gold comes out at the top of his head. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: And,
10: that, yeah.
4: and he writes the word spirit on the artwork. So it's like, here. you know, if you weren't sure what it is, now you really know.
10: Yes, he definitely has labeled it. Yeah, that that painting is gigantic, I think. Is it? How big yeah. is it? It's probably about eight feet by ten feet.
4: Wow. Mm.
10: Because it actually has real human clothing in it. I, oh as God.
4: I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, that, those look like real
10: Yeah, clothing. so it, it's really big.
1: I, I enjoyed some of Lynch's work that he does kind of use actual materials into the painting. Like, it's not a, it almost be like a 3D painting. I remember, yes. remember in the 90s, like, a, a bird would fly into his painting, and he would just incorporate that into the painting. And it was like, I don't, to me that's <laughs> wild that it's like, yeah. so, yeah.
10: Well, those, you know, those paintings, when he was doing those giant paintings in the 90s, it's almost like they were hovering between being paintings and stage sets because, Mm -hmm. you know, they had a three-dimensional illusion, but there were actual objects built into them. I think there's an actual telephone in one of those paintings, Um, so... um, When I was up at his house the other day, he just finished another big, huge, gigantic painting that was loosely based on a drawing of a house he made when he was about 10 years old, back to the house.
4: Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, like the lights. I love the ones where he put lights in them. Yeah, I love
10: those too. Yeah.
4: And everybody seems to have very long arms. (laughs) That's
10: true. And I don't know what that's about. I've never figured that out. Um,
4: they have guns, long arms with guns or lights or, or
10: matches, matches. matches. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of fire in his work too. Fire metaphor comes and goes a lot.
4: Yeah. Going back to the text, the fact that he incorporates text in his art, which is something you don't see very often. I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't know if anybody else has ever done it, but it's become part of his art. And it, oh, definitely! And yeah, it's weird because most artists just want you to interpret it, and which David Lynch does with his films. But it's interesting in his paintings; he's giving you the clues. He's writing them out for you. He's saying this is what it is. But they could be—they
10: could be red herrings. You never really know, uh, you know. That's true. Because a lot of times, I feel like he uses language just almost like a design element you know he he puts words in and it, they function more as a thing you're looking at than a thing you're reading it just shapes
3: yeah true
10: um yeah i don't i don't, I've never you know i can't ask david directly why do you use text in your paintings i know he would I never know. answer a question like that yeah yeah um, i don't think he could because everything he does is very um intuitive he probably doesn't know why he wants to put words in but they're just they appear God, so, thank you so um,
1: much for your time. It's we it means a lot that we got to talk to you and learn oh, more you're about so the book. Sweet. And,
10: God bless you. God bless you for your mission.
0: Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, this is getting more annoying than a Wally Brando monologue. Wait a minute. I got those noise canceling headphones in my back pocket. Remember, you thought should you bring. A bucket for when you gotta go or the headphones. And you said, bring the headphones. Great idea, Scott. Put them on because I'm a little sick of the noise. Oh, yeah. That's good. Ah, Okay. Let's see. We're almost there. If by almost there, you mean still in Ohio. Well, let's check out what their next episode is. Lynch Madness. Lynch isn't crazy. He's just an artist. I am so sick of people going. out Oh, I see. It's like March Madness, but with uh, Twin Peaks episodes. Okay, yeah. I'm a long time listener, first time caller, first time mower. Yeah, let's take a look. Uh, you know, let's listen to the uh, Lynch Madness. I'm <laughs> no,
4: not kidding. Gentlemen, we are about to embark on a journey that once we go past this line, it's going to be hard to go back and we're going to get a lot of angry emails, but it's all going to be worth it because we will crown the best David Lynch film of all time, according to us. So we have Lost Highway versus The Straight Story. Maya, we're going with you first. In
11: this category, it's actually kind of easy for me because I've been on a A Lost Highway thing, this whole (laughs) conversation. I'm going to go Lost Highway. I love Straight Story, but I think Lost Highway is, of the two, the most lynchian. That's my pick.
4: All right. So, Ben, I know which way you're going to go. To make this interesting, I'm going to go Joel, because Joel could be a wild card on this one, and Ben could be the person who is the decider. I don't know, but Joel, what do you think?
12: I would go with straight story and, uh, uh for the reasons I kind of already mentioned. And I just think, and I also will say, you know, look, we're being subjective here. We're picking, there's no real way to find the best Lynch film. So kind of what we're doing is making a fun game. What would be a better Lynchian twist? to the end of this podcast, Ben, I'm speaking directly to you. (laughs) What would be a more Lynchian twist than for the final most acclaimed film on the Twin Peaks Unwrapped podcast after all of these brackets have been surpassed? (laughs) Then the G-rated Disney film wow. by, that many people don't even know is a Lynch film. <laughs> and that's probably one of the least. Think of how many people will listen to this podcast <laughs> and go watch The Straight Story for the first time because of your advocacy for it.
4: The
1: Straight Story hits number one on <laughs> iTunes? That would be amazing. Yep.
12: Think of the power in your hands. The power, right if
1: now. I went to Lost Highway, maybe people would rethink <laughs> Lost Highway and want to go check out Lost Highway. But they already have. They, oh, already
12: are, they, already yeah, they haven't know. seen the straight
1: story. It's true. They, you're right. There's a lot of people that don't know about the straight story. So
4: we're
12: tied.
1: No pressure. We're no tied, pressure. Ben.
4: And Ben, um, you know – just so you know, no matter what you pick, we're gonna get angry emails.
1: Yes, and it's okay.
4: <laughs> it's all right because we are deciding. This is a
1: this is a magic moment, you know, right now. The best <laughs> David
4: Lynch movie of all time, according to us.
1: Well, maybe I'm just deranged.
4: <laughs> yes, I love your your calls to the soundtrack of Lost Highway. So Ben, I, give I, us a long answer, and then give us give us an boy. answer. It's nothing quite winded. like
1: a man on a lawnmower <laughs> going down <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it's a beautiful film, The, the Straight Story It is And my heart didn't win over this time because I go with uh, Lost Highway (laughs) because it's an incredible film. I love the soundtrack. I love the acting. I mean, there's so much. uh, Richard Pryor, wasn't he in that too? They had a little moment. Yeah. There's so many. Jack Nance's last film and stuff. There's so many things I think about uh, so fondly of that film. It's just a great film.
4: So 1997's Lost Highway survived.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Maya.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so
4: you heard it here first, folks. Lost Highway is now the best David Lynch film of all time, according to uh, us. People
3: are
1: gonna say this is rigged. Or no something. arguments. And yeah. Ben did not pay off anybody. Somehow he did. You know he was so worried he was been gonna nervous lose for weeks, months, maybe. That, that, especially when I saw this bracket and it's like, oh my gosh, it's gonna <laughs> be knocked out right away.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you
1: That's guys right. have.
12: And you have to tell us what your choices would have been for each round.
4: Oh, real
12: quickly, I here. Just as, a, just as a curio.
4: Okay, real quickly, if I was part of this game, firewalk with me, straight story. Round two, for me, it would have been Lost Highway, firewalk with me, the elephant man, and then blue velvet. Then round three, I would have stuck with firewalk with me. I would have stuck with blue velvet. And then the last round, Lost Highway, straight story. I would have picked Lost Highway.
1: So well, Lost Highway would have been knocked out though. Well, right. It, it would have been Firewalk yeah. with <laughs> Me
4: against
1: uh, yeah. Blue Velvet. Wow, that would have been a neat, something to see yeah. too. And
4: I would have, I would have went Firewalk with
1: Me. Wow. So that 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 Firewalk <laughs> with me would have made it all the way. <laughs> that was a, that was the true ending around, I think.
4: Oh. Yeah. That's a parallel universe. Right.
1: The true ending <laughs> should have been a Twin <laughs> Peak's podcast should have had Firewalk with me.
4: Yeah. Uh. yeah. We could have recorded two audios and people can listen on the left channel it would have been me talking to myself and another person that was me, a panel of me's. What do you think Brian? What do you think Brian? What?
12: I have one other option. If if you wanted to make it super Lynchian, you could have us doing the first three rounds and then just cut to you <laughs> doing the last round of two films that have already been disqualified and leave the audience with that, and they never get to hear the uh, the actual outcome.
1: Oh It's my funny because before we talked, I was talking to Brian. It's like here's what we're gonna do. They're all gonna they're gonna get rid of Lost Highway, and and I'm gonna edit the show, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say <laughs> pretend I'm Maya. It's like lost highway yeah <laughs> Joel
13: lost, lost highway, highway.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah Ben was already prepared to uh mimic your voices and dub them over and
1: I was like I was thinking I, going back to old shows and see if you guys said the word lost, lost highway, highway. <laughs> uh,
12: I'm, I'm so glad I, I will say lost highway is probably either third or fourth definitely top five lynch film so I'm happy to see it uh come out even though it was not my choice at any stage wow uh, that's uh, true it wasn't oh no that's not true it beat uh wild at heart oh no, oh, Blue no Velvet. it was up against was it, a- it was up against firewalk yeah yeah, oh, yeah. no, no wow. stage with lost highway my pick that's yeah wow. even See, though i do like it it was a tight competition in that bracket
3: dick Laurent is big
0: Oh, my butt is starting to hurt on this thing. This is a great idea. Middle of the night. Cornfields. There's this guy up here? What, what is it? What is it? Uh, I better slow down. How do I stop this thing? Uh, can I help you, uh, Mr. Weird-Looking Man? How far are you going? Uh, I. Uh, why do you care? Give me a ride. Did you notice I have one seat? There's. I'm on a tractor, dude. Have you never heard of a piggyback? I have heard of a piggyback that I'm not interested in... Uh, you know my meaning? Yeah? Huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, I... Well, do you need me to call someone? I got a phone. I'll call you. Uber? Have you heard of Uber?
3: Uber. Yeah.
0: Heard anything about
3: that? Uber. No, that's fun to say. Well, uh,
0: listen. Uber. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. But uh, I'm I'm heading to a Twin Peaks podcast. I'm sure you never heard of Twin Peaks.
7: Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks, backwards speakers, loggers, black lodges, special agents, and one-armed shoe salesmen. Uh, yeah. Never heard of it. No, no,
0: I can't imagine that you would have. No, uh, I'm I gotta head out. I'm. Uh, Uber. Yeah, that's that's fun. I I think I'm gonna play a uh, clip. Hey, let me just start up the track.
7: Happy trails. Uber. <laughs> Uber.
3: This is not a good idea. Hey,
1: Josh. Hello. So we got you on because it's done. It's complete. You're you're finished. The skeleton key to Twin Peaks. Your book is done. It's available in digital format. How exciting!
13: Oh my gosh, I feel like I've been Sisyphus pushing a rock up a big, big hill. <laughs> How long has it been that you've been working on this? Nearly two years. So I started working on it the second week of the live airing of, of Twin Peaks season three.
1: Wow. That's right. I remember I remember you started putting stuff out on, uh, on I think, Twitter and it, yeah. like, kind of where you were going with it a little bit. That,
13: that is so cool. Yeah, in fact, all of that social media stuff, including our shows, by the way, uh, have have served as a historical record of the way that my thoughts have changed and the way that I've changed as a result of studying Twin Peaks season three so deeply.
1: That's really cool. People that don't might not know about the book
13: can explain it to our audience? Absolutely, yeah. So it's it started off as an exercise to just try and figure out what the heck was going on from week to week as we were all watching it live. And early on, I got the idea of, hey, maybe I can kind of dissect the show up into the, the various narrative streams. So for example, Cooper's coming back, the White Lodge's plan, or the Black Lodge's plan with Mr. C, or what's happening in Twin Peaks. Where everything seems to be really weird, versus what's happening with the Blue Rose Task Force, and so I started to track on a second-by-second second basis, scene-by-scene scene basis, what was happening, and the numbers that started coming out of that were really fascinating to me, and they actually became the focal point of how I was able to dissect and view from different angles the entire uh, the entire totality of season three, uh, and and then over time um, my. Opinions, my thoughts uh, have changed deeply, even from the last time that we spoke about this. Uh, my my overview of what happens in season three has changed dramatically.
1: So there's no uh, uh, Laura's not evil.
3: Well, so. <laughs> <laughs>
13: It, it all it all comes back to this, doesn't it? So you know what happened when I, I got to that point and I do feel like I, I logically laid that out at least to myself to the point where if you look at Mark Frost's books and you look at at what David Lynch put on the screen, you know it did seem to intimate, that you know the the quote spawn of of beelzebub would have been laura palmer however that is a very dark and morose ending um, that basically drained me of all of my ability to even think or or write Mm. about twin peaks for several months it was uh it was really a a a super dark you know place to be when you're thinking about you know something that's supposed to be uh, in my opinion now a hero story so, you know, it, it took me a few months to really come out of the doldrums of of that and and put things into perspective I now believe that all of season three is a dream like many people and Cooper is the dreamer and the entire show is his journey to awakening um you know after he's been stripped of his identity stripped of his faculties but not stripped of his goodness Hmm. and so I now look at Mark Frost's books within the perspective that it was part of the the deception You know, there are some truths that are revealed in Mark Frost's books. There are some outright gaps and lies and errors that are revealed. And there are still mysteries in there as well. And I think it was all part of that, what I call the version layer of, of Cooper's dream, which is the majority of season three.
4: Wow. Yeah. So you say the dream. And it's something Ben and myself and all the guests we've had on the show, we've tackled that. Dream or you know this other plane reality? Um, is it you're inside Cooper's mind or existence or just other plane of reality and he's trying to get out? So do you even do you even think the stuff that takes place in Twin Peaks do you, or any any parts of what we saw in season three is not a dream or a another reality or do you think the whole thing is? through and through
13: i think from the moment of episode 29 in season two that cooper split that all becomes multi-layers of dream right? Mm. Including Firewalk with me, by the way. So, you know, that John Thorne should be happy. That's all about you know the dream. I was going to say, have you been hanging out with John here? (laughs) (laughs) You've been hanging (laughs) way too much out with John. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea of, you know, this kind of red room layer of the dream starting off in episode 29, and then he starts to learn Laura's backstory in Firewalk with me, and at the end we have what I call the Cooper Loop, which is the angel. You can save me. You can still save me. So this is where we go back to whole kind of quote laura is is the uh let's just call her the master of the of the red room that whole uh, narrative of you can save me i can't save you and it starts over and over and over again with is it future is it past is kind of the beginning of of the loop and then something happens in in the second episode of season three where laura is ripped out of the red room by an unknown agency, let's just Mm. say. And her absence, that actually creates an opportunity for Mr. C slash Bob to come in and basically put a false dream layer in place. And and that's what I call the version layer. So when he's he's threatened to be non-existent and thrown into this dream within a dream where Mr. C and Bob are now the orchestrating force of of everything that happens going forward. Um, And then he's stripped of his faculties, he's stripped of his memories, he's stripped of everything but that single golden seed of his goodness. uh, And that's the only shield that he has. And is it enough? And, And it turns out that it is. So the only thing that I think is not a dream that happens from, you know, episode 29 all the way up to the end is the fade to black. I mean, I think that's the moment that Cooper actually wakes up. Wow. That's pretty cool.
1: Wow! Yeah, that's really something. You know, I like what your book is. You do all these breakdowns, and you have all these graphics. Can you talk about all all that went into it? It definitely comes off as a, you've got a business background that, are, or you really get the idea <laughs> of like uh,
13: charts. Yeah, I have a heavy analytics background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sell enterprise software, artificial intelligence. That's that's what I do for my day job. That actually pays the bills around here. And you know, I tend to, to try and break things down into a visual component that's backed up by data. Hmm. And I think when you do that, you have a much stronger argument than just arguing from a point of view that isn't really rooted to data. So um, that is first and foremost, the foundation layer of of a skeleton key to Twin Peaks. And I also want to make it clear that this is just one point of view. In fact, on the cover, it it even says one experience of season three. Like I I put validity in everyone's experience. And and in fact, when you read through there, it's actually much more of a spiritual journey than it is me analyzing what happens in. tv show i i literally felt myself become changed as a result of thinking so deeply about you know what i consider to be cooper's journey back to waking consciousness
4: i love all the graphics and everything you put together like these icons it, like the blue yeah rose. the icon
1: the blue rose the is so awesome
13: there yeah. yeah i tried to treat it like a work of art and you know that was uh that was actually what jeff lemire said when he first opened the book he he, he texted me and he says my gosh these graphics he's like this is i wasn't expecting this and, and i'm like that was that's why it took so long And frankly you know i designed everything from from scratch uh to be able well except for the images where you see like uh you know the the little thing on the playing card that obviously all came from twin peaks but the ability to to use that when we're talking about a specific scene, I think it's really powerful, um, you know, regardless of, of what you believe happened.
4: Are you going to do a physical copy of this book or just be digital? I
13: am, but I want it to look the way that it looks in the PDF. I, I you know, yeah. you can understand that it was just, I, I don't want to equivocate on quality at all, which means it's probably going to be pretty expensive, Yeah, which is why it was really important for me to give it away for, as a, you know, a digital copy.
1: And it's really interesting this breakdown. I mean, you break things down by scenes and, and uh am I, it looks like you're like breaking this down by like minutes too, like by getting the minutes yeah. and seconds of a scene and I, it's really interesting the the breakdown that you've gone go over
13: I wanted to be able to let someone, uh, you know, view it on an episode by episode basis, but also there there are time numbers in there on the basis of it being a 17 hour, I think 11 minute and 59 second film as well. That's actually the the length of time that the show is on the screen, including credits. Wow! Um,
3: wow!
13: So. You know that way we can start to talk about it in either term, like a particle or a wave. You know, is it a show that's an hour and by hour basis or is it a seventeen you know hour film? Yeah. And I think there's merit in doing both. Everybody listening, I, there's no reason
1: that you shouldn't go uh, the website again. The skeleton key, tw- TwinPeakSkeletonKey dot com. Okay. There's no reason that you shouldn't go there and just download it. I mean, yeah. it's free. I mean, you, you, you. And it's
4: living. So any updates, yeah, it's like. It's like, a, it's like buying a video game nowadays. There's always updates. This is like the first updated book. You have different – that's, that's right. so cool.
13: Yeah. And in fact, I prefer people read the book or at least thumb through it before they would consider donating to the David Lynch Foundation. I, I really want it to be as a result of appreciation for the effort and the time and, mm. and um, you know, hopefully the skills that went into to creating this for them.
1: And the David Lynch Foundation, I mean, it's doing such great work. I mean, it's helping out military people who have had stresses. It's helping out city mm-hmm. schools. I mean, it's doing such good work and stuff that it's yeah, something women awesome. and
13: men that have been, um, you know, uh, involved in, in terrible physical uh, altercations that have resulted in, in anxiety and, and mental stress. I mean, yeah, there's a, the, the list is endless uh, in terms of application
4: so cool and Josh where can people find you on the old social media
13: yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Joshua Minton you can find me on Instagram at Joshua Minton you can find me on the web at jbmintonwriter.com which is also where you'll download that book from and then of course uh, twinpeakskeletonkey.com will take you right there and uh, please reach out to me I'm, I'm happy to engage online discuss theory and all that great stuff but uh, just know that this was this was done with love and for charity
0: What's going on here? This lady on the side of the road. Better see. Can I help you, lady?
10: No, you can't help me. No one can help me. I've tried driving with my lights on. I've tried sounding my horn. I scream out the window. I, I roll the window down and bang on the side of the door and play public enemy real loud.
0: Have you tried Barbara?
10: I have prayed. Francis of a sissy, St. Christopher, too. What the heck? I've tried everything a person could do, and still, every week, I plow into at least one deer. Oh, ho,
0: ho, 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 lady, Settle down, settle down, settle down, man. Get a hold of yourself. That's not a deer. Those are season four rumors. We're all glad you're plowing them down. Get in your car and back over it.
14: Where do they come from?
0: It's the internet. Haven't you heard of Twitter? While you're driving, you should be accessing your phone and tweeting baseless rumors. That's how people get likes and clicks. Come on, it's 2019. Now, I'd love to stay and chat with you. You seem like a really nice lady. But I gotta listen to 20 Questions with J.C.
4: Hotchkiss.
14: Where do they come from?
3: Are you
4: guys ready for 20 questions?
1: 20 questions? Is this is this Twin Peaks 20 questions? Yeah, well, it's David Lynch related. All right.
4: Okay. Uh, you have 20 yes or no questions you can ask me to figure what character you're looking for.
9: Now, I think the number one question to, to, to Ben, I'm talking to Ben now, mm-hmm. is we should ask if it's male or female. Uh,
1: I agree. Female. That's always, it gets up probably half, right? I mean, that's the best right. way Right, to... because
9: we could ask, is it a female character? He could say no, then we know it's male. Right. You know what I mean? Or he could say yes, and you know it's female.
15: Sounds
1: good.
9: All right. So is it a, is it a female character?
1: No. Okay. So Another it's a Another male. male. Wow. Is it from Twin Peaks? No. Oh, no. It's not Twin Peaks related. Get out of here. Get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> is, it,
9: is it from a film? Yes. Okay. So it's a David Lynch film character.
1: And it's a male Oh, I'm trying to think of what would be a good one to – I mean because it's still – How about how about something from – somebody from Dune? <laughs> is that your question? <laughs> no, I'm fucking you. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to narrow it down so we can figure out which film it is. But we, don't, we can't go through ten films. Well,
9: we could say is it part of – what's the trilogy they talk about? That's Mulholland Drive – Lost Highway, and what's that called? They call that something. Is it? Is it part know. of the.
1: The Lynch Universe, or I don't know.
9: No, it's part. It's They call it. Is it part of the LA.
1: Oh, oh that, shoot. Yeah, I understand. Oh, yeah, the LA films. Maybe it just is. They Hollywood Atlanta,
4: films. Is that Inland Empire part of that? Yes. Yeah.
9: So, so we could ask that. Is it All part right. of the LA trilogy? Yes, it's part of
4: the LA trilogy. It is not. No.
9: All right. So that, that, that takes out Mulholland <laughs> Drive's. Not, in, not Lost
1: Highway. <laughs> it takes out wow. Lost Highway too, doesn't? It? Is that part of that or no? I don't
16: know.
1: Oh, okay. But you. Uh, <laughs> I can ask it again. Is it the Mystery
9: Man? No, I'm not saying. That. I'm, not, I'm not saying
1: that. Would <laughs> be hilarious if it is though. <laughs> <laughs> uh So what did we knock out for films? Because I want to make sure we, that was a.
3: Worthwhile. You just
4: knocked out three films. You knocked out. You knocked out Inland Empire, Mulholland Drive, in. A Lost Highway, I think? Is that no, part wait, of the trilogy? Well,
1: Brian says it is. <laughs> no, I didn't know what the trilogy is. Yeah, I don't know. I, think it's, I thought I think it was.
9: It's Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire, and I thought it was Lost Highway, but...
1: I think so, too. Yes. I honestly do think so. You know what? Yes. Thanks, he's giving okay. it to us. Yes, those All three right, movies are out. So we still have seven. Well, we said Twin Peaks, so I would think Fire Walk With Me would not be included if we said I, the word twi- right. Twin Peaks.
9: Twin Peaks, right.
1: So then we right. have six films still?
9: So we have Tw- Straight Story, we have
1: Dune. Elephant... Yeah, Dune, playing.
9: Elephant Man, Eraserhead, Eraserhead.
1: Um, what am I missing? Oh, uh, in do we already say Inland Empire?
9: Right, that's out. Uh, that's out because it was part of the L.A. Oh, right.
1: trilogy. We had four that were out, didn't we? We had four that we had. No, we had Lost Highway, Lost Highway, um, Mulholland, Mulholland Drive,
9: Drive
1: Inland, Empire, Inland Empire, Twin Peaks is out. Okay. So that's for, four. Yeah. So then we. Ha- so maybe may actually
9: be easy to ooh, go in order. Oh. Wild at Heart, I didn't think about. Oh, yeah, Wild at Heart. Oh, okay, Hard. <laughs> we could we, we could ask a question, like, does the movie take place in Texas, right? Isn't that where Wild at Heart takes place? Where does Wild at Heart take place?
1: No, here's another thing. What about, Before we do Texas, what do you think about, it's like, was the movie, did the movie come out in the 1990s? Because that would not, or, you know, or you could say... Yeah, I feel like the 90s would be best because th- that would knock out – if it did, they would knock out Dune, Inland Empire.
9: Or Dune – no, Dune and um, Straight Story, wouldn't it? Because Straight Story didn't come out in the 90s, did
1: it? I don't know if it did. It may, I think it came out in 1990. Nine. Uh, 99. No, right. I think uh, – or maybe it came out in 2000. But then Brian would have to look this up. Majority of the – I got my details, so. Right. I don't know if that'd a, was that
9: would be – Go ask that question then.
1: Did this film uh, get released in the 1990s? No. So there you go. So we, it's Dune. No, but so you st- it could still also be. An, uh, it could also be a, 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 a Racerhead, right? It could be a oh, Racerhead, that's, that's Dune, and we still have. We still have. Uh, we still have four, I think, don't we? So we only. Uh, do we only knock out two? No, Dune. No,
9: Dune. Yeah, Racerhead. We still have. Right. The only thing that came Inland. out in the 2000s was Inland Empire, but that's part of the LA trilogy, so oh, that's ours.
1: right. Right.
9: So I say it's between Dune and, Dune and Eraserhead.
1: and Eraserhead. just... I'm not... <laughs> and what about... So wait, how many,
9: qu- how many questions Story. do we have, Byron?
1: What about Straight Story?
9: 15. How many questions do we have, Brian? We have 15 left? Yep.
1: So what... Who was the... What's
9: Straight Jack Story against? did come
1: out in 1999. So you're right. So if... It's wow, gone. Wow, so you knocked it down to two. That is really good.
4: Are you yeah. sure? You knocked it down to two? Yep. There was other movies that came out.
1: Inland Empire came out after... Uh, in two thousand, and okay. then, oh, El- Elephant Man. So I think it is Elephant, oh, Elephant Man, Man is- Eraserhead, and Dune, Dune are the three that we have left.
9: So the questions we have to ask is, like, right, here, Ben, here's our three questions. Did it, did it, did it get filmed on in Mexico? Because that would go out Dune, because he didn't. He filmed Eraserhead in California, and he filmed Elephant Man in
1: England. That's true. Wait, how many questions do we have left? Fifteen. We have 15 still to do. Yeah. At this point, we should just say: is was it was it Dune? We should just name the films. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'll knock out three, but then we'll be down That's to fine. one. All two, right. Whatever one, you want to do. It's your your game. Go is, ahead. Is it is it uh, the Dune? The is Dune? Dune? Yeah. Was the character from Dune? No. <laughs> JC. Was it was a
9: character from Elephant
1: Man? Yes. Well, there you go. Now we got down to that. and so we still have 12. Yes.
9: All right. So the
1: oh, all right so we got John Merrick but that's too easy. Is it? I don't know. Yeah, it does seem like. So who is the um who, who is the doctor there? The, I mean
9: It was we, I don't know his name but it was
1: it was Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins' character and we have the Oh yeah, we have the guy that took care of him in the circus and we have like the guy who who is it? He was like I don't know if he if he was just somebody would come in the room and he was like kind of torturing him and stuff, but I feel like it wouldn't be that you're not gonna make it that hard, are you gonna? What we should
9: start by saying, "Is it John Merrick?"
1: Is it John Merrick? No.
9: No. All right. So that—that's that. thats ble- that, Is it Anthony Hopkins'
1: some... doctor character? No. So we're now down ten. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The halfway mark. <laughs> you're burning that's... them up. But the thing is, is that that I can't even think of that many male characters. I mean, so
9: did da- did David Lynch have a part? In... Oh wait, did Mel Brooks had a part in it? Didn't he?
1: Mm-mm. No. All right. I don't think so. So see, I I need my phone to Google, but I'm on my phone. So I can't oh, do,
4: well, Ben's not looking at his phone either. No, I
1: can't. no phones, no phones. <laughs> who uh, who is we, we we interviewed the guy who is uh who did the um who took care of the people at the circus there? I don't. Uh, it's the
9: same guy. Is, didn't. Fr- what, didn't Freddie Jones have a character? Yes,
1: Freddie Jones. Part? Is it Freddie Jones character? Yes. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Can you name his character? No. Mr. Bites. Mr. Bites. Is it bites? Bites. Bytes? B Y T E S. Like wow. bites,
9: like computer bytes, That's interesting. Yeah, That's
0: Mr.
4: Bytes, Freddie Jones. Oh, it's getting
0: late and it's dark and it's cold. <laughs> this was dumb. What do I got next? I gotta get through these podcasts. What do I got next? Oh, Shirley and Ray Wise in Columbus. Now, see, that was a good thing. I remember that weekend. Ben flew out here. Who picked him up at the airport? Me. Who drove him around all weekend? Me. Did he ride a snowblower from uh, wherever the hell he lives to here? No. And here I am out here. That's fine. I spent the weekend with Cheryl Lee. I'll listen to her talk and everything will be fine. Better play this quick. We gotta go.
1: Had a wonderful trip. There was this director's series, and it was uh, featuring the Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me film. They got to showing it, and they had Ray Wise and Cheryl Lee there doing a QA. Well, right
15: <laughs> My pal from Switzerland, one. and one from Holland. Wow. The Netherlands, yes. Yes, indeed. yes. Has anyone else traveled further than Switzerland and Holland? <laughs> Yes, Akron, Cleveland, I'm from Akron. Born and raised, born and raised in Akron, Ohio, went to Garfield High School, and then I went to Kent State University. Graduated in 1969, went right to New York, and in a couple of weeks, I walked into an open audition at CBS, and I got a soap opera called Love of Life, it was 1970. I did Love of Life for about. Am, am I talking too much? We'll I, did love, I did Love of Life for, for about 950 half-hour episodes, and uh, it was a, it was the beginning of my career, and it was a great job. And uh, there it was in the 70s, and I was making good dough, and uh, I couldn't believe my luck, you know. And then in 77, I came out to California, and it just continued. I did the first thing i did was charlie's angels the, the original charlie's Angels show you know and uh and that's what got me started out here and i and i haven't stopped since <laughs> for uh 51 years and that's almost impossible for somebody who's only 45 years old <laughs> This is my partner in crime, Cheryl Lee. My my television and my movie daughter, and uh, one of the great loves of my life. uh, I'm indebted to her forever, and you know, a little story, a little story. She gave me a picture of her uh, in the fourth grade, and I put it in my wallet. When we did the pilot, and I kept that picture in my back pocket for the entire series. Aww. She was with me the whole time. And then I gave the picture back to you. Do you remember? I figured you'd want it back. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only fourth grade picture she had. <laughs> i cracked crack her all Just, the time. All the time. Oh, yeah, I see that picture, it's yeah. good. It was funny. <laughs> when I was killing her as Maddie. <laughs> and that, and we laughed just like this <laughs> in between takes. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> but that was the main way to keep our sanity, you know? It was like a great release. Well, you made it through the movie, huh? So I bet it wasn't easy. I don't know. <laughs> a real feel good, feel
3: good
15: flick. <laughs> yeah, we've seen it a few times. And, uh, um, it's funny, you know, when that movie opened in Cannes at, at the festival, um, the audience actually booed it.
0: <laughs>
15: it's terrible. Yeah, and uh, David walked out after a few minutes, and the booing continued. <laughs> <laughs>
10: Yeah. And tonight, we celebrate with cheers.
15: Yeah. Yeah. But then, every succeeding year, the movie kept getting better and better. <laughs> it didn't change, but it kept getting better and better and better. Until now, well, for my money, I think it's uh, one of David's masterpieces. Oh. And this girl... Well, this guy. <laughs> what she went through, that was uh, an amazing tour de force, that performance.
17: Well, I couldn't have better had.
15: Yeah, we tried to keep it light in between takes, you know. <laughs> tried to hug each other a lot and joke a little bit, and you know, and then get back to the serious stuff. It was, we managed to keep our sanity throughout all of it. And uh, we had a great time. This is happening right now.
3: <laughs>
15: but now, now we have to let Cheryl. <laughs> no, now we have questions. People who aren't used to asking questions, who are shy, don't be shy. So the one shouting the questions should be the one we pick on, right? Because she's shy. Sure, she's, she's good.
3: Go ahead.
17: You. You said dinner with Chocolate cake. Yeah, the dinner
15: was really fantastic. Um, and, and it really got me in the mood anyway.
17: <laughs> that was the goal, man. Right? It worked. I felt a little song coming on. I had the. Uh,
15: a kiddly-divey, too, wouldn't you? Yeah. Although the words sound queer and funny to your ear, a little bit jumpy and jivey, say, mares eat oats and doze eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. Oh, mares eat oats and doze eat and little lambs eat ivy, a kiddly-divey, too, wouldn't you? A kiddly-divey, too, wouldn't you? Yes, I sang that for the first time, probably 30 years ago now, and and uh, I'm asked to do it at least once a year since. <laughs> <laughs> All that encouragement we to do.
17: <laughs>
3: yes, I did. I did.
7: Yes. All
17: right. Uh, audience questions. Yes. Um, so I grew up thinking you were one of the best dads.
3: <laughs>
17: oh, wow. Nice To put it in perspective, I also wanted a wolf as a Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. And John Cusack to be my boyfriend, and we ride the rails. together. Uh-huh. <laughs> so then I grew up with that, and then you're like the worst dad. <laughs> so,
10: I know.
15: I you're mean. not,
10: you're just made You're a puppet to be the worst dad. Right. And, um... My friend Charles and
14: I we played this game and we watched Twin Peaks, um, Leland or Bob. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your process, even facially, of when you when I became Bob switched to Bob for Well, Bob. I never
15: I, I never had Bob in my mind. I never thought about Bob. Okay. It was always Leland. So. And and when uh, that old switch went off and he became something else, it was him. Mm-hmm. And whether it was a, another part of his brain kicking in or whatever you want to call it, I, I did not uh, I did not ever think of Bob. Bob was not part of my thinking. Always Leland, always Leland. And then uh, at, at the end, the last episode, when I when I die, I, 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 I become aware of everything that I've done as Bob. What a big surprise it was for Leland, you know. But it was a wonderful thing. Yes, sir. So, first of all, welcome, both of you to Columbus. Hope you have a good time. Thank and you. Fans. And um, a question for Cheryl. First of all, I'm a huge Beatles fan, as well as a Twin Peaks fan, so I love doing Backbeat. Thank you.
17: Now out on Blu-rays, so if you haven't seen it. No. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. Thank you. <laughs> back to Twin Peaks. Um, one image that's always struck with me is
15: when you do the meanwhile, was that a specific direction from David? Was that something you did? Is it have any symbolic meaning for you or?
17: You know, I wish I could remember that moment more. I am um, certain that it came from David and David's brilliant mind and that it means something somewhere very significant. <laughs> um, I don't know that I would have ever been given that information. <laughs> But um, for me, you know, I always have to translate even if I don't necessarily know what his meaning of something is for me to make the moment true. It has to mean something for me. So it did, but that's secret.
3: <laughs>
17: Thank you. Okay, any more questions? So
0: working on the series and the movie, how was, I guess, your acting approach on those as far as, if you have
6: way more time yeah. to play when you were
18: shooting the film. As far as you know, dialogue was a lot looser.
17: And with the TV series, you just stick more to the script. What was the difference there? What are you guys personally? Hmm. Well, for me, always sticking to the script with David was something that you just do. It's different with different directors, but um, yeah, it's it's pretty word for word.
15: Everything is so, uh, especially the the series and. Um, everything is so well constructed by the writers that uh, you really don't want to mess with any of the words, you know. Uh, um, everything has double, triple meanings, and and so if you get a few words off, it screws up the whole mechanism, you know. And, and so we, we pretty much stay to the every once in a while, you know, we toss in a little exclamation, but uh, those are few, <coughs> few and far between.
6: So it, as far as like shooting it, did you feel like you were the same pace? Or did you David had one kind of play
17: with the film mm-hmm. and the so Yeah, I, I mean definitely in terms of mood and pace and creativity, film, the film was very, very different than working on the television show, especially at that time.
15: Originally when I met with David, I thought I was going in for the part of the sheriff. <laughs> sheriff Druman. And then uh, a couple days later when I got the call and said, David, watch you to you play Leland? I thought, wait a minute, I gotta look back at the script and see Leland. He finds out that his daughter is dead and he cries. And then he goes to the morgue and identify his daughter's body and he cries. And then he's up in his daughter's bedroom when they're searching for her diary and he, and he cries. And then all this guy does is cry. Ah, but therein lies the challenge. I thought I have to show different levels of crying <laughs> and different types of grief. And then as I started to show up show them what I could do, they started writing more more and more for the outrageous things that Leland did, throwing himself on, uh, on cat ca- ca- you know, the caskets and uh, dancing with himself and all that dancing stuff. Dancing with myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a little Billy Idol in your life right now. You came into the process as as a as a dead girl, <laughs> wrapped in plastic, right? And, and that and that you thought at the time that that was going to be it, right?
17: Yeah, just like four days as a body.
15: <laughs> four days as a as a lovely body, I have to say. And uh, you were you were wonderful in that plastic. Uh, <laughs> but in Fire Walk with me, um, she was absolutely amazing.
3: Wow. And That's I like to dance
15: She did everything that an actress uh, can Im- imaginably do. Uh, she ran the whole gamut of emotions. And it was amazing to, to watch her.
17: I had a good teacher. Um,
15: <laughs> You can tell so. we get along, you know. <laughs> um,
3: what is it about
18: your, you and your work with Twin Peaks that brings you back to things like this so long after
15: this it brings us back to things like this. <laughs> I think for the adulation, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I start to feel low, (laughs) I like to come to one of these, and I I feel good again. It's it's good for the ego. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, everyone is so passionate about the show, and so knowledgeable, and they they know more about Leland than I do sometimes. (laughs) And uh, it's just great to be uh, in your presence. So, it's a treat.
17: Yeah, I feel like you guys are responsible for keeping it alive for all these decades. And so for us to be able to come and say thank you to you guys, um, because it wouldn't, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys. We wouldn't, it wouldn't have had all this long life if it wasn't for you guys. So we get to say thank you. Okay. Thank
3: you. Thank you guys for coming. Y-S-S-S-S-O.
0: After hearing Ray Wise and Cheryl Lee in my hometown on a weekend where I got to be Cheryl Lee's bodyguard. um, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm depressed again. This trip is too long. I mean, in the movie, it seems so fun. Of course, he had Harry Dean Stanton waiting for him. What do I got? Brian? Nothing could cheer me up. What's the next step? Ooh, Women of Lynch book. Hey, that's the book I did. All right. Now, you know what? You know what? Ben and Brian are worth it. That's why I'm riding here. That's why my butt's been jiggling for 17 hours. It all makes it worthwhile. Yes. Women of Lynch book. Let's take a listen in. This is going to be good. You know, I heard it's still for sale at bluerosemag.com. And they're beating Amazon's price. Pretty good Lynch book for your collection.
1: We are going to talk about the new book, The Women of Lynch. All right, now we're talking to Lee Kelman Kolb. Hi, Lee. Hi. So, you've got an essay in this book, that The Uncanny Electricity of Women in David Lynch's Worlds. Yes. Can you tell us about that? I actually, this is one of my favorite of the book. I mean, there's a few of them, but I really like this one.
18: Thank you so much. I, it was absolute joy writing it. Um, So something that I've always thought about with Lynch's work is that um, to me, his work is very feminist in nature, Mm -hmm. but I would never want to know what David Lynch had to say about feminism. Hmm. So I think that um, that's related in terms of his use of electricity and that's kind of how i opened the essay and he in um the book lynch on lynch he talks about how he uses electricity a lot in his work and he says um and what it means i don't know i'm Mm -hmm. not a scientist and i haven't talked to these guys that are into electricity but it is a force Mm -hmm. and so i saw that as kind of parallel to how he um depicts his female characters And, and i think that a a big mistake in criticism is if we see misogyny on screen then making an assumption that the director is misogynist. Mm. I think I mean, sometimes that's the case but right. more often than not I feel like with Lynch's characters when we see um, female characters who are one dimensional or who are kind of archetypes we're seeing them through the male protagonist's gaze and we're meant to criticize that mm. that man who's Treating a woman that way or seeing a woman that way. And I think that we're meant to, yeah, see beyond the depictions. And I focused on um, specifically Eraser Head, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, and Lost Highway,
3: hmm.
18: and looked at how those, the, the female characters in those films, oftentimes, and I, I reference for Blue Velvet Roger Ebert's review. Where he was very critical about yeah, how the yeah. balance is treated, and and I can understand that on a surface level, but when you dive deeper into the depictions, I think it is a very different story.
1: Lee, thank you so much for your time. I mean, thank it's, you so it's, much for having me. All right, we're we're talking with Lindsay Hallam right now, and she has an essay from Women of Lynch that is a women's film melodrama and women's trauma in the films of David Lynch. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. And do you have an excerpt of your essay that you'd like to read for us?
19: Uh, Well, I was thinking, considering you guys are um, a Twin Peaks, I guess I should uh, read the the few paragraphs that I've got on Twin Peaks. That'd be great. Like the Hollywood melodrama, Lynch's films reveal common household objects as traumatic symbols. Of particular note is the ceiling fan in the Palmer home in both Twin Peaks and Fire Walk With Me, which becomes associated with the demonic presence of Bob and the father-daughter incest being perpetrated. As Richard Martin writes, the ceiling fan lies above the landing that Laura's father, Leland, crosses from his bedroom, which he shares with his wife, to the bedroom of his daughter, quote, breaking the boundaries of normal familial relations, end quote. In Fire Walk with Me, close-ups of the ceiling fan are intercut with Laura on the staircase looking up at the fan as she hears Bob whisper to her, I want to taste through your mouth. This scene points to further transgressions beyond the taboo of incest as bob wishes to possess laura completely violating the very boundary that separates not just bodies but souls the ceiling fan in the palmer home is situated at the top of the staircase another element of the home that carries symbolic significance martin again cites examples from melodramas such as written on the wind bigger than life and home from the hill where climactic moments take place in the stairs arguing that the staircase is, quote, a prime venue for the symbolization of unequal power or altered perspective, end quote. This is certainly the case in the scene from Fire Walk With Me, as Laura is shot from a high angle, emphasising her lack of power as she looks upward. Bob is not physically present, but his voice overwhelms her, seemingly coming from above and invading her mind in a way that she cannot escape from. His presence, emanating from the fan as it circulates, violates the safety and security of the family home.
4: And, Lindsay, do you have any okay. social media? Do you want to promote your book? Anything like that before we let you go?
19: Yeah, the Firewalk with Me book is part of a series called Devil Advocates, which is released through um, Autopress in the U.K., and I think it's Columbia University Press in the U.S. You can probably find it online. Oh, where all good books are sold, but, yeah. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can, I don't know, you can probably find me.
1: Okay, we're talking to Lindsay Bowden, and she did an essay on, uh, really, it was an interview with Machen Amick here. This is where we talk, Shelley. Hi, Lindsay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So, yeah, tell me, so how did you get Machen to, to do an interview for the
14: book? Uh, I asked her to do it.
17: <laughs>
1: I just
14: basically said to her, um, they've asked me to do this interview with a woman of Lynch and you are a woman of Lynch <laughs> and my friend and we always have a giggle together. Shall we do it? And she said, yes.
1: Wow. Good yes. get. Good get. You, you you asked some great questions. I loved ta- hearing about the development of Shelley. And uh, yeah. did you have a favorite question that she answered?
14: Um. Oh, there was quite a lot of questions that I liked asking her actually. Um, I liked asking her literally about the, the development of Shelly and whether um, she thought Shelly might have moved on in 25 years <laughs> from her bad boy loving ways. Yeah. Um, and I also really enjoyed asking her um, about uh, the, the catchphrase, this is where we live, Shelley," and whether uh-huh. she knew how popular that was amongst the fans as well, which she kind of did, actually. That's great. awesome.
1: And, you know, I know this interview was done some time ago, but, you know, we, we recent, you know, Peggy Lipton recently passed away. And it was nice yeah. to hear a little bit. There was kind of a, a little bit in there about how much Peggy supported her. And I thought that was really sweet to hear. And I, I don't know. I mean, it made mean, even extra, spe- it was already special, but to be extra special because we lost Peggy. Yeah.
14: Yeah, I mean, that was was a real shocker, wasn't it, to everybody to, to lose Peggy like that. Um, and, and, and you know, especially for Machen. Machen and her were very close, and, you know, she she loved Peggy like a sister and a mentor, you know.
1: Mm. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. Can you tell people how they can find out more about the UK Fest and how people can follow you?
14: Yeah, if they go to our website, TwinPeaksUKFest.com. Mm-hmm. Um, also, our social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're everywhere.
1: All right, we're now here at Lauren Fox hi Lauren hi so you've got an essay called the triple goddess can you tell us about this essay
20: I decided to take uh, the approach there there is a um, in the in a in the neo-pagan tradition there is uh, something called the triple goddess which is which represents it's you've seen the symbol before it's the full moon with, flanked by the two half half-crescent moons on either side yeah huh. And the meaning of it is, from left to right, maiden, mother, and crone. It is the three stages of a woman's life uh, that she goes through. You know, in thinking about when I was asked to, to, to do the essay and, and, and told it could really be on anything I wanted as long as it was on the women, I really started to think about it and I wanted to personalize it, you know, uh, a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so I am a, a, a practicing neo-pagan witch. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've always, I've always loved Dave, David's work because it has such a, an incredible mysticism and mystery to it,
3: hmm. and I
20: think that that's what it always attracted me the most to it. And so I wanted—I I just thought it just seemed it, it was kind of a natural thing, you know. I was—it just I—I it, I thought about it very little before the idea came to me to take these women and put them in that in those those uh. Proto, you know, in in the, the triple goddess symbol, and and, and to, to have you know each a, a character from from each of his things represent those different stages. Yeah. I just thought it was a fascinating way to do it. It, 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 it was fascinating. It was a. It was definitely fascinating for me to, to to research and write it in terms of really thinking about who I wanted to go with, and I picked some of my favorite characters.
1: Well, Lauren, it's wonderful talking with you. And it is quite an interesting essay. And I, I you know, it's really something else. And can, is there a place that people can follow you? I have a website called Strange Magic
20: Wellness. Uh, magic is with a CK instead of just a C. So it's S-T-R-A-N-G-E-M-A-G-I-C-K. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Right, we're talking to Lisa Hessian now. Hi, Lisa. Hello. You did an essay, Mary X marks the spot. You got to interview Charlotte Stewart.
8: Yeah, yeah. I had the really awesome pleasure of speaking to Charlotte Stewart live, and it was sweet.
5: Uh,
1: she's such a nice met person. met her in person, so I yeah. read this, and she, there's just like the, the warmth is coming off the page. And oh, she she's so warm. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, she, she, yeah. Can you tell us, like, what was, what was some of the favorite, like, answers she gave to you, or that she shared with you?
8: Well, um, there are quite a few that. But, so the thing about interviewing Charlotte Stewart is you don't necessarily interview her it's basically she just she just talks and tells these awesome stories so yeah. it was almost like from one story into the other um, i think the most unexpected story when was she was talking about how she was at dinner um with with kyle mclaughlin and david lynch and laura dern um, I think and and had mentioned that she was going to be Laura Dern's mom and wild mm. at heart initially, nice. and so they, she told that story, which is pretty wild and crazy because I never heard that before. Obviously, you know Diane Ladd. It made sense. Yeah, and, right. And it was Mother awesome. But I thought that yeah. was a pretty cool story. That's very cool. And
1: I liked it. She, she told you a story that she didn't even get to put in her own book, which I thought was really Ooh, interesting. That's special. I mean, that was kind of special just about.
8: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably didn't seem as significant to her at that time, but it was a great story.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for your time. Yeah, it was sharing a pleasure.
8: Thank you. Thanks for the invite and letting me be on this. All right, we're talking
1: with Maya, who has an essay on impressions of Lynch, journaling a Requiem. Hi, Maya. Hi, guys. So, this is a really uh, very creative, unique essay, and I'm trying to figure out how we can tap toe around things because I don't want to give too much away. Scott says that you had to pitch things. Can you kind of give us your pitch without spoiling things?
11: Pretty sure that when I when Scott first asked me if I wanted to submit something for the book, he was thinking a traditional essay. Yes. Uh, but I, <laughs> I'd actually had an idea to do like a journal style. Um, I guess you could call it it's one part essay, sort of one part story, but not fan fiction because I wouldn't want to like drift into that territory. Uh, And I kind of wanted to take it from the perspective of a fan who was revisiting all of Lynch's films for the last time. Mm. Uh, So I kind of created this little thing around it. And I chose to do it in the first person because I thought it was sort of a little more powerful that way. And uh, it was a little, it was kind of fun to write it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I wanted it to have a little bit of a Lynchian feel. I don't, not that I could do that quite correctly, but I tried and it was, was really fun. I, I really enjoyed your the writing and telling of a
1: story and kind of balancing maybe the fan commentary with uh, serious issues. And I thought that was a wonderful balance that you did.
11: Thank you. Uh, I guess I just kind of wanted each little entry to be a little bit reminiscent or have an essence or a tone of what the film was and then try to find a way to tether it together so it kind of told its own story. Do you want to <laughs> share with people how they can follow you? Uh, sure. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Twin Peaks Blog.
0: Okay. These noise canceling headphones are killing me. I, I got to take them off. Man, well, there it is. Oh, the low drone. I feel like Josie's in the wall somewhere, and I'm just walking around looking for where that humming is coming from. It's fine. Ignore it. It's worth it. Just got a couple more. Now we've got the Women of Lynch book. No, we already did the Women of Lynch book. I'm starting to lose it. Maybe I just wanted to promote my own book again? That doesn't sound like me. No, we've got Season 1 March Madness again. It's the Lynch Madness thing. I mean, crazy. It would be crazy. I don't know. I'm not crazy. It doesn't matter. It's just to take a moment. Oh, no. No. Keep driving. It's worth it. All right, we're going to get excited. Last round of March Madness, or Season Madness, or Some Madness, or I'm Thirsty. Ugh, I wish I had that bucket.
4: It's interesting how this played out because both these episodes, you guys unanimously picked it. Like... uh, episode 2 and the pilot you all agreed on it and that was these are the only two episodes you all agreed on (laughs) so this is why it's going to be very interesting
6: now Um, oh man one one other interesting note is I'm just looking at your paper here Um, episode 7 has the highest IMDB rating right every yeah, every one of these, so... Wait, no, than I'm the not the sure who's watching Street. Twin Peaks, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Episode 7 does have a
4: 9.1 rating, which is interesting.
12: Prime, it was not popular. I mean, it, a lot of people liked it, but it was controversial, right? More
4: Epis- than any
12: which, of the other episodes? The pilot? Episode no, seven. no the, the Season 1 finale, because they didn't reveal the
6: killer and everything. Oh, else. yeah, there was... Um, uh, Gets right. well, I think there were a lot of people who were expecting it to be revealed or something significant to be revealed at least in that episode 7 and um, <laughs> it was nothing it was just <laughs> you know it's just one giant cliffhanger it just cut the film in half and said there That's all you're gonna get so I think there were some people who were frustrated.
4: So we're going to start, we're going to end the show the like the way we started it off. Francine. Oh
16: <laughs> Francine,
4: we're starting with you.
16: Um, this is really tough. Again, because I would say that these are two of the most iconic episodes in, of the whole show. Um, they're both incredibly important. I think, obviously, the pilot is our introduction to Twin Peaks. Um, it's Cooper's introduction to Twin Peaks. And we find out about Laura, but episode two is really when we start finding about what this place really is and probably what has to do more with you know future things including Firewalk with me and the return i can't believe i'm saying that i was gonna say the pilot um but i think i might be now that i'm really thinking about it it might be episode two
4: I, I like that answer, Francine.
1: You, you're not, you're not any opinion <laughs> on <from> this.
3: <laughs>
4: this is not a political debate. I can, I can weigh in. Uh, we're moving on
6: but to. What if this is tied then? Oh, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we're moving on to uh, John. Um, okay, I gotta say, before we started this, I thought for sure I knew what the winner was going to be. Now I'm not so sure. Um, mm-hmm. And but when we, when we do know the winner, I want to make another final comment about something. About these two episodes, but I'm going to wait on that. I'm going to. I, everyone knows this, I think, from hearing me in other places. But the pilot is my choice for sure. I picked the pilot because I think it's absolutely perfect. And I. And this is my. I don't get me wrong. I love episode two. And as I said, when when we were we were going through that first round, uh, episode two was the one, was the episode that, you know, made me the Twin Peaks fan that I am. So you would think I would choose it, but. I use the desert island uh, scenario. If mm-hmm. I had to take one episode, one chapter of Twin Peaks uh, with me to a desert island, what would it be? It would be the pilot. Um, I just think it's perfect in every single way. I, I love it. I know it doesn't get into the deeper story. I know it doesn't even get into any kind of supernatural stuff. It's where it all really begins. I, you, well, I'm going to save this comment for later, but um, I think it's perfection. So I choose the pilot.
4: All right, John. Thank you for that. Joel Baco.
12: All right. Uh, so no matter what I say, um, then and possibly then you are going to be the deciding votes, which seems appropriate.
3: Maybe. So
12: which, where am I going to tip it? Um, <laughs> I'll say this for, so as I said, I saw episode one and I actually also saw episode two before the pilot. And, uh, and that's and after I saw episode two in the dreams sequence, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna stop this series till I can see it properly because that was amazing, and I want to watch this the right way." So I waited a couple years for the gold box. Fortunately, I didn't wow. have to wait
6: that wow, long. Wow, that is dedication. <laughs> <laughs>
12: so I know. Well, now it seems crazy because I watched Twin Peaks so much, but at the time, it's just like, "Oh, I'm to other movies and TV's." So it's just like, but anyways, uh, so the pilot when I finally saw it, I, I admired it a lot. I think it's uh, probably the – I think definitely the most perfectly executed piece of Twin Peaks. It just – from beginning to end, and I think that's in some ways as much Frost as Lynch. There's just a beautiful sense of like a a stone being thrown in the water and the ripples going out. We see Laura unwrapped, then we go a little further to her family, then we go a little further to her friends, and then the town. And it's just beautifully executed, that first – half hour and then Cooper comes in and it brings a whole new flavor to the show and to me now I think the most interesting thing about the pilot that I love to think about is it almost exists in this alternate universe where you can imagine it ending and just ending like that forget the European ending for a minute and we never know who killed Laura and all we're left with is this lonely town out in the woods Mm. you know the fog rolling in And it could be anything could have happened and we'll never know. And there's this whole mysterious other side of the town and this other something out there that we can't quite touch and reach. And it's just, and you can see why Lynch is in love with that idea. Now that said, when I put in episode two, after episode one, I'd I'd liked that Bob scene, but I still wasn't totally sold on the show. And when the, it opened with the shot of the Horn family sitting around the table And just you could hear the scratching of the silverware on the plates, this high angle shot, wide lens, beautifully framed. Nobody says a word for two minutes. And way before David Lynch popped up, you know, directed by David Lynch, uh, I had been thinking in the previous episode, well, gee, maybe he just produced this show. Maybe he was like a I – I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I didn't think they were going to solve the murder even. And uh, I thought maybe he was just like a creative consultant or something. But when this scene happened, I said – This was directed by David Lynch and his credit popped up. And I was just sold from that point on in this episode to me, this is the crown jewel of season one. It's where so many things that haven't quite kicked in yet in the pilot come in. And I, if, if I admire the pilot, I have a sort of cerebral admiration. This is totally visceral for me. This is like just intoxicating. So episode two.
4: Wow. You're making me. Ner- I'm getting nervous here. <laughs> I'm getting I, real like, nervous. I feel like this
1: is like a rematch because we had a, we did the Lost Highway one and it was Joel and then it's my. I'm the one.
4: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm getting I'm, nervous. I,
16: if you don't know what to say, I feel like I have to add at least one more thing. Add one more um, thing. I, I feel like like again, I was going to pick the pilot and it, it is a beautiful, perfect episode and it, it, it's wonderful. And but the more I think about it, episode two. Literally changed people's lives. It changed the way we view time and space, and the afterlife, and also possibly people's sexuality. Mm. Uh, with Audrey's dance, that that was, even though it was the music is not rock and roll, that was a very rock and roll moment.
3: <laughs> yeah,
16: it was pretty life changing for a lot of people. So I'm that's I, I feel even stronger about episode two.
4: All right, Ben. They made their cases. Where are you going with this?
1: Well, you know, I think going coming into to do the show today, I said, you know, it, it seems like the pilot. You know, it was always I can remember everything about it. I mean, it's every there's every beat. It's so it's just so well made. But my love is episode two. Mm. <laughs> my love, I mean, like if I think about Twin Peaks, I think of the red room. I think about the mystery, and I mean, so that's like that's where my heart is. I mean, I would. It's a good the pilot's really good, but it's it doesn't have those elements that i I f- fell in love with Twin Peaks and it was that it was that red room and and Joel said it best about the whole idea of how David Lynch shot that. I loved going into that and <laughs> the horns just eating and just waiting and waiting. and it's just like they don't do that on television. and I to me that was like so brilliant. so I mean I for me it has to be I can't believe this too because I thought it was gonna be the pilot, but it's got to be episode two.
7: Meet me for breakfast, 7 a.m. in the hotel lobby. I know
13: who killed Laura Palmer. No,
10: it can wait till morning.
6: I'm the only one to pick the pilot. Yeah, the outlier
4: here. Yeah. John.
6: I will say, I was going to say this earlier. I didn't want to sway anybody, but I, it is hard to divorce the dream sequence. I I know it's in episode two, but it was shot way, way earlier. Mm. I know it's not part of the pilot and I don't consider it part of the pilot. I don't, I wouldn't use that as, you know, extra argument to, to pick the pilot because it's not. Um, but, um, you know, we talk about the fact that it was shot out of order and that uh, episode two was shot much, much later, but that last 15 minutes was in fact shot much, much earlier. Um, and so <clears throat> there is still that kind of Lynchian sensibility, you know, before the Wild at Heart stuff, I guess, which is what Joel mm. was saying earlier. And obviously, you guys picked, I can't argue with it, and I love to. I absolutely love to. Um, you know what stands out in the pilot You picked a couple of things in in um, two, but when the girl screams and runs through the courtyard mm. in the in the pilot, um, Lynch reused that again in the opening of season three. Wow! And um, that to me is is laura palmer right there that's we don't even know who that girl was we don't know if she even reacting to laura palmer's death but (laughs) um i think craig and i wrote in wrapped in plastic a long time ago it was almost as if laura's death became known before it was announced and um getting away from the sort of red room supernatural stuff which i again totally agree and as i said it was the thing that turned me into the fan i am the essence of that whole importance of Laura Palmer is there in the first two minutes of the pilot. You see it when Sarah Palmer is screaming in the phone, even before she knows what, what's happening. So, um, those are my, those are my, I, I'm I'm not trying to sway anybody or change your minds, but those are the things that still stay with me. And it's why I think I could watch the pilot, uh, without ever watching anything else again, just, just the pilot. And I, I'd still be kind of like, yeah, okay, I'm, I've am i got Twin Peaks. So, yeah. anyway, it, that's my final, as the only voter on the pilot. Oh. <laughs> it was so well made, made. Final statement. statement.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the pilot is so well made, and I can probably almost, like, remember everything that happens in that. And... <laughs> For me, sometimes it's there's so much grief in that first episode, in that pilot and mm. stuff. Like mm-hmm. you have, and that sometimes that's harder. I think that I'm older sometimes to see, the mom mm. is grieving and the father's grieving and and the the school is grieving, everybody's grieving, and it's like, I don't know, it's it's a, it's heavy in some ways mm. and it's painful. Yeah, the principal gr- crying. I mean, everybody yep. is is in Andy. pain and yeah, Andy's, Andy's crying. crying. I mean, that's kind of almost <laughs> comical, but it's. I think sometimes it's harder to go back to that to say, like, okay, I'm going to witness this whole town relive this this horror of their town. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what made it good, too. I mean, it was incredible right. acting by everybody. But I also thought Cooper is a little different in the pilot. Like, he's a little he definitely bit. definitely is, without a doubt. More yeah. stern. Yeah. A little more stern. Yeah. And, like, there's something I love about <laughs> Cooper in two, where, you know, he's a little more sillier. like, you. Or maybe I even just look at the way Harry and him play off. It's like, you really got this from a dream? And he's like, yeah. yes. And he kisses his nose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's in the pilot. That's true. That was, re- I always no, wondering that's in the- episode two.
16: Is it? I yeah, think that's it. Oh, it is. Yeah. Albert yeah it was- comes in. Oh, you're right. And they're looking at evidence. Yeah. I always
1: wonder if that was uh, um, improv because it seems, it feels so much more like Kyle might have done, just go honk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
6: <laughs> yeah, don't, don't forget, too, if you want a little humor, you got that dancing kid in the school hallway. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And you
1: got Bobby. Bobby's dancing, too. His yep. dancing backwards or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's true.
6: Well, ladies and gentlemen,
4: I, I thank you. We have our winner of season one Madness, episode two which I think everybody going into this was thinking, it's going to be the pilot.
6: I did.
16: I thought so too. I did.
6: Yeah, Without a doubt, I did, yeah.
0: Oh, God, it's been 17 hours. I'm freezing. There's only one left. The 200th show. Got to listen to the 200th show. I feel like I've listened to 200 of those shows just sitting in here. But I'm almost to New York. I just know it.
16: Scott! What the hell are you doing in the backyard riding around for like two
0: hours? Uh, what? I'm not. I, I'm in New York. What are you doing here? It's New York City. What?
16: Ben and Brian called. They're at the airport. You need to go pick them up. Dad, you've been in the backyard for like hours. It's so embarrassing.
10: i I
16: thought
0: I was. How did. What? How long has it been? Oh,
3: boy.
18: Pine weasel.
4: All right, finally, after bumping him all evening long, we have our special co-host, Scott Ryan. Scott, how's it going?
1: Oh, I guess he got (laughs) tired of waiting for us. (laughs) Scott's not even there.
4: Oh, now you want to talk to me. (laughs) Sorry, we had important people
0: on. Yeah. You're lucky it was Charlotte Stewart, who I love with all of my heart. She loves you, too. You know, I mean, since it's Charlotte, I guess I'm okay with being relegated to the back of the episode like some (laughs) 25 years later promo.
1: We saved the best for last.
4: We kind of did. I mean, those are the appetizers. This is the main course, honestly, because we got some big announcements that are going to be dropping today.
0: Uh, we yes. do. We do. But before we get to that, 200 episodes. Yes. I, I thought we would name them all.
1: Oh, now, no, we won't. No.
0: Number one.
4: <laughs> we name them all. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> um, what do you remember about episode 142? That was really my, my <laughs> most important question.
1: Uh, I, do, uh,
4: I do remember all the episodes that we had you on.
1: So Scott, you were always the one that said, you know, you guys should take it easy. You should go a little slower. You don't have to do a, a show every single week. And we we're like, oh no, no, no! We are gonna, we are always gonna, be, we have to be on every single week. And we did that for a, a good amount of time. Four almost, years. Four, almost four years yeah. of, of nonstop. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, maybe I got sick one day, but I, for the most part, we've never missed an episode a right. week. And then all of a sudden in March, we decided to go bi-weekly and we were just like, okay, we can slow down <laughs> a little bit. Can...
0: <laughs> and <laughs> but, has anyone noticed or cared? No.
1: No. And we, I, no. I don't know if we should say this, but we, you know, we still get a, a, almost the same amount of people. I mean, like same amount of downloads. And I don't know how that's possible yeah. unless we were doing so much that people couldn't keep up with them. <laughs> well, know.
0: that's the problem. That's what I kept telling you. There was too much content. Too and much people content to keep up.
1: Yeah, that is amazing. So, but we were we were still working on Twin Peaks even when we weren't doing the podcast. I mean, I think that's the the crazy thing here. And yeah, I, and I guess that's our announcement. And and you're on the show, Scott, because we are going to come out with a book, and you're going to publish that book, which is
0: I know it's very exciting, yes. and you're calling it the Chron- Chronicles
4: of Scott Ryan. Is that <laughs> what the book is?
1: Yes, it's, we 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 are so fascinated with you that we wanted to do a whole life story of Scott Ryan. Ryan.
4: We've been following him around for right. for the last four yes. years.
1: No, I mean it's it's a Twin Peaks Unwrapped book. It's going to be based on the podcast. We've got a lot of interviews. It's kind of our journey, and uh, I think if we do it right, it'll feel like a community journey. I mean, I think it'll be just more than just Brian and Ben. It'll be it'll feel like it's part of the community,
4: right? well
0: i mean what you guys have laid out so far has been amazing with the book we've we've had our meetings we've had our arguments and i've (laughs) i i look at it as an extension from the blue rose magazine it's just an obvious it's an offshoot kind of like the women of lynch book was Mm -hmm. now we have the twin peaks unwrapped book and it's basically going to be the podcast in book form. Yeah. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. So people can yeah. take you with them. You know, they take you in their ears. Now they're taking you in their hands.
1: Do you have your phone with you? Yes. Could I text you something?
0: Ooh, something exciting.
1: There, um, yeah, here it comes. Here it comes.
0: But we've done this before, and and it's, it's not worked. So let's see.
1: <laughs> that was on your end. That was right? in your end. Yeah. So
0: maybe. Oh. I see how it is.
1: It says it's delivered. It ah, says you read it.
0: Oh, my goodness. So what are you seeing? <laughs> I am seeing a picture of Ben and Agent Cooper. Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin. And He's in the book?
1: He's in the book. We have we got an interview with him, and he is going to be in the book. And I think that's what we're announcing right now, that, that we got an interview with Kyle and – uh
4: Will be
0: it's gonna game. be that is good. So exciting! I mean, it's Huge.
1: I and know. I, you know, all our oh. fans, our friends, are going to be saying, "How did you get that?" And I don't know. Like, we, like, don't, we, we don't, don't know, know how he did it. it. It's just so lucky. Also,
4: with the pre-order, if everything goes as planned, there will be a link for only the people who pre-order this book. will get a special podcast, and part of that interview. Yeah,
1: it'll be a sample sample, uh, with Kyle. It'll be a sample of other people we've interviewed, just to give you a little taste of what what the book is going to be And it's
4: owned for pre-order people. Right. It's special. It will never go out to the public. So when you pre-order the book, you get something special. We give them back.
0: Right. So for people to do that, they got to go to bluerosemag.com and they type in the code word which I think should be Kyle. How do you guys feel about Kyle I being love the it. code word? Yes,
4: love it. And you get
0: the K Y L E, Kyle. And when they get that, they have $5 off the cover price and a link to a special Kyle McLaughlin um, interview. Um, this book is going to sell so much that I'm going to quit my job. I'm,
4: ah! I'm, quitting.
0: <laughs> I'm quitting the blue rose. John oh, Thorne's yeah. on his own. I'm out.
4: Aww. What? we yeah, to just be rolling in it. I, yeah, so this is very exciting for us. And yeah, it's um, huge. And like, yeah.
1: I think I think we interviewed him in April, was it? We've been holding We've on been to been this hold- for a this while. Has been, this has been hard for us to hold on to since April. And then the picture that Scott saw was I actually went to New York and he had a wine tasting, but it was more than a wine tasting. It was a whole dinner. So I think I spent maybe three hours with them, and I was like the first one to leave because I had to go back home and it took a couple I hours to get drinking home. Drinking wine. Yes, but I got to drink wine with Kyle for a few hours. And, and I was he hugged tr- him? Oh, you know, you were supposed to say that. <laughs> no, don't embarrass me. <laughs> oh, I don't Why? Why? You hugged
0: David Cooper. Uh, yeah, I know.
1: Kyle was going to say, oh, you, 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 you. Yeah. I think we all were drinking enough. <laughs> 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 Uh, uh it's that it's, is
0: so great i mean that's like that's that's the white whales getting kyle you yeah. know what i mean like that's yeah. that's the one so that is it, spectacular yeah, and so you know to have all of the things you you guys have reached out to a ton of people and and they're going to be in the book and it's sort of I look at it as yes, you know, you've got the podcast, but it's the journey of what happened with Twin Peaks coming back cuz mm. you guys were right there on that wave to totally. capture that moment and excitement. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I, I told, you're totally right. And I think right. that's where the community will really appreciate it cuz it, it's like it's not only our journey, but it's everybody's journey get, getting to go back and kind of relive that in a way.
4: Yeah. And not only Scott, this book is it is a time capsule for our podcast. But it's also going to be a keepsake for our podcast because we have one more announcement. In 50 more episodes, the end of next year, we are ending the show. Yep. Oh no!
7: Two
4: <laughs> <gonna> fifty.
7: <be> <laughs> what? Two fifty. Two fifty. We're, 250. Ending at we're
1: ending and you're out. Wow. We're out. Yeah. We did our five years, and, le- and I- the only way I would come back is if, they- if oh. the show comes back, or they're doing a movie. Maybe, yes. you, can- maybe you can get me to stay a we'll little do, longer. We'll
4: do. Well, we're gonna go we'll away. Take a break. But we'll if take like a break, yeah, and, and if David Lynch did a fourth season, we'd come back for that. If he did another movie, we would do one episode about that. I'm sure, but. We're we're yeah, just going to go time. on a hiatus yes. for a undisclosed amount of time. Right. And well, you're
1: getting 50. You still got 50 episodes to yeah. enjoy that we will That means out. you got,
4: still got two more best ofs with Scott Ryan.
1: Yes. Let's <laughs>
0: go. <laughs> but, but, but where am I going to live? <laughs> where, where do I go if you guys uh, go away? Uh, I, have, we'll I, I mean, friends. I would we'll I have to go in the Red Room and
1: talk to Josh. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. Yep. Uh,
4: we got a year and a half. We got a year and a yeah. half left, so... But we wanted to make the announcement as well. Yeah.
1: So I mean I think that's another way to say yeah that this yeah, this is a keepsake to remember, oh yeah, that podcast <laughs> <laughs>
4: when you're 80. Oh, I remember this Correct. podcast I used to listen to. And you know, you'd have that book.
1: <laughs>
0: well, you the what you guys have honestly done is unbelievable. You've you've pretty much got everyone, you've talked to everyone, and you've been go-getters. And and that's the cool part. Uh, because it's easy to say Uh, wouldn't it be cool if we got Amy Shields? Wouldn't it be great if we had Michael Horse or whatever? But you guys got these people and have captured their thoughts and their memories and and let everyone hear about it. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Okay, that is the end of the bit and scene. I hope you enjoyed our little play we put on for you today to go through what Twin Peaks Unwrapped did over 2019. Ben and Brian do such a great job with the podcast. They put so much work into it. If you have the time, just send Ben and Brian a tweet or email and say thank you. It it does mean a lot to people who do all of this work for free to, to put it out there. And I mean, they get everyone on their show and they've supported the entire community of Twin Peaks. They're just the greatest guys and I'm honored to call them friends. You can go out and order their upcoming book, Twin Peaks Podcast. That's probably not it. Twin Peaks Unwrapped Podcast book. I know if I was a professional, I'd retake this, but I'm not going to. And go out to bluerosemag.com and buy Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. I mean, what is wrong with me? I'm not even doing the bit now. I'm just tired. Um, You can use the code Kyle and you'll get $5 off the book. We don't talk about it online, but we, you know, if you listen to the podcast and you're a fan, we want to give you $5 off. That is not going to be the case in 2020, so that that code expires on December 31st. So you better be using it quickly. And I want to thank Benjamin Lush, who played our um, hitchhiker, the Uber guy. He is the MC of the Double R Club. Make sure you check them out. He's got some great books. His Twin Peaks postcard book, which has a bunch of poems, is amazing and i'd like to thank my wife jen for you know yelling at me on the internet and you know subscribe to the blue rose follow twin peaks unwrapped just happy twin peaks day or whatever the heck it is uh thanks and have a great year and make sure you listen to the last year of the twin peaks unwrapped podcast and you know don't take any oink oink off any of them pretty little pigs see you next year
3: Have you seen Scott Ryan? No, but he said he was coming. He was?
1: Because I haven't seen him anywhere. I think he said he was going to get here by lawnmower
7: (laughs) or an Uber. Oh, boy. Uber. Uh Uber!